The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome into the On Texas Football Tuesday live stream, everybody. Uh, we have a lot to talk about over the next hour plus. <laughs> it never slows down. Never slows down. Never a slow period. Last six, eight hours are telling you that there's a lot going on. And welcome in. We're brought to you by Energy Texas tonight, and we're going to be talking uh, all things Longhorns. Two new portal editions. Uh, the Dwayne Aquina news is, I think, uh, trending in a bad direction, and or maybe uh, not trending, but you're maybe trending, but is trending in a bad direction. We'll talk about that coming up as we go into uh, Texas football, which never slows down. I'm Aaron Hogan. He is CJ Vogel. He is Rod Babers. This is uh, Chelsea the dog, who's decided to take up uh, residence on the couch behind me. <laughs> so welcome in. And uh, let's get this thing going. Guys, how are you? Good. Doing great. Awesome. We're cold, but the recruiting trail is not. So that's, that's <laughs> exciting to talk about. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's going fast. I mean, I you just broke news to me that I didn't know, CJ. We were uh, you know trying to get ready for the show. I did. I saw the, uh, the 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 Silas Bolden news, which is big, which we'll talk about. Uh, now there's a uh, you know another addition. Let's start with that, CJ. Breaking news as the afternoon has unfolded. We know the Longhorns over the weekend. I added Isaiah Bond as a wide receiver out of the uh, portal from Alabama, but that didn't deter or slow down their pursuit of Oregon State wide receiver Silas Bolden or Alabama uh, linebacker Kendrick Blackshear, who's coming in as well. Um, these are these are two commitments that have come in in the last four or five hours. Run it down. Man, yeah, a lot has happened in the last two, three hours, like you said. Obviously, Texas has gone out and added former Oregon State wide receiver Silas Bolin to what is already a very deep portal addition group at the wide receiver position when you talk about Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, obviously already having previously committed to the University of Texas and Steve Sarkeesian's offense. That is now three portal wide receivers stepping in. For the, wide, uh, for the wide receiver room, Chris Jackson gets some new toys. Sarkeesian uh, probably very happy as well, but probably no one more happy than what Quinn Ewers will be stepping into uh, in 2024 with these three new receivers as well as a, an older John Tate Cook, DeAndre Moore, uh, and a freshman Ryan Wingo and Parker Livingstone. So a lot of toys to play with. We'll see how that kind of pans out as the spring gets underway here in a couple weeks, uh, I guess two months really as, as you know, uh, spring football set to start right around spring uh, break time for Texas. And then obviously the last addition for the 2024 offseason that we just talked about, the sixth portal edition, Kendrick Blackshear, a former Duncanville Panther from the DFW area. He's out of uh, Alabama. 19 tackles this past season, had three against Texas. Played sparingly, but is a big body and has experience uh, with three years under his belt down there in Alabama. Uh, another you know, familiar face that Texas has uh, had recruited back in the day is returning to Austin, as we have you know, kind of talked about that being the case with uh, Andrew McCuba and Matthew Golden uh, previously. But Blackshear adds depth and experience to a linebacking room that will look to replace what Jalen Ford uh, you know, kind of started for Texas. We saw the ball continue to roll with Anthony Hill, who was named uh, a Football Writers Association America uh, All-American, freshman All-American this this afternoon. And now 
Texas is adding another piece of that linebacking puzzle. And I mean, the portal has just been a, a wealth of abundance uh, for this Texas staff. Very, you know, impactful additions to this Texas 2024 roster. And they're just doing it again, uh, time and time again. Yeah, that's six now by my count, Rod. And uh, let's start with Silas Bolden. Uh, you know, Sark, I mean, some would say collecting wide receivers, but at the same time, competition is good. You know, there's some folks who are weighing in, hitting me up on uh, on the timeline, talking about, man, is this going to make Jonte Cook, DeAndre Moore? There, it's kind of their time. But you were on the 40 Acres, Rod, when it was all about competition and playing for your spot. And uh, you know, we're not going to you're not going to live on hope. We want guys who have produced at the Division One level to come in and um, you know compete for jobs and get after it. So now you're talking about your special teams improving with Matthew Matthew Golden and Silas Silas uh, Bolden. And you also have guys, you know, including Isaiah Bond coming in who are proven commodities at the D1 level. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sark's doing it the right way. I mean, you lost essentially 80% of your receiving production, whether you're talking about the wide receivers that you're, that, that left because of the declaration to go to the NFL, X-Men, A.D. Mitchell, Jay Witt, exhausting eligibility, or guys leaving via the transfer portal, or Jay Brooks, or J.T. Sanders. You're talking about just the whole entire passing game overall. That's a lot of productivity. you got to replace it as much as you can, and you got to do it with guys who have already proven it at the highest level. That's a guy like Isaiah Bond who has led you know, Alabama in receptions. That's Silas Bolden, who's the leading receiver for Oregon State. Uh, so, you know, I, I totally understand what some people are saying about stacking the wide receiver room. Listen, the transfer portal is a reality for everybody. You're going to have attrition. You can't worry about that. You got to stockpile those rooms with as much talent as possible. Upgrade the roster as much as you can, as often as you can. And then as you churn out the roster, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, I think Sark's doing a great job in the wide receiver room right now. Uh, and, you know, you look at a guy like John Tay Cook. You look at, you know, bringing in Matthew Golden bringing in Isaiah Bond, bringing in uh, Silas Bowden. Uh, and, you know, so there's some other guys. DeAndre Moore, you talked about him. I mean, there's some other guys that are going to step up. Sark has a very tight, I've talked about this, a tight circle of trust at wide receiver. Uh, maybe, maybe he'll expand that circle of trust this year. He hasn't so far on the four decades. Usually it's three, maybe four wide receivers that can crack that circle of trust. And it's not a guarantee just because you're coming in via the transfer portal that you're going to be a guy that cracks that circle of trust, right? Isaiah Nayor, everybody wanted him to crack the circle of trust. Didn't happen. For injury, because of injury, because of other issues, we never saw it happen. And now he's on to Nebraska. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a that's a guy came in with double-digit touchdowns. Uh, Tariq Milton's a guy that came in as a proven uh, receiver via the transfer portal. Never really heard much from him. Made a couple of plays here and there. Didn't hear much from him. So it's no guarantee. I know we're excited about these guys coming in, but if you don't crack the circle of trust for Stark, an injury could deter that. Other things could deter that. Then, you know, it, hey, man, Sark is going to move on. He's going to end up solidifying that group. Uh, right now my projection would be it's Bond, it's Bolden, uh, it's a young uh, Jante Cook in there, thrown in there too. And honestly, between Ryan Wingo and Matthew Golden, it'll be really interesting to see which one of those guys cracks that circle. And I was talking to my man CJ about this earlier uh, when we did Talking Ball. You know, Sark, when he really loved his wide receiving core, and how could you not love four first-round wide receivers when he had, you know, Devontae Smith and Waddle and Ruggs at Alabama, he had what he called the red package. And it was just simply 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends. And he had four wide receivers on the field. I'm talking about nightmare fuel for a defensive coordinator. It's it's possible with the loss of a JT Sanders, 
All right. And, you know, with the wide receiving room being as stacked as it is, if he does expand that circle of trust, maybe he goes with some red package every now and then. I'm not talking about as a main uh, kind of your main focus or identity, but just to sprinkle it in as a complimentary personnel grouping to really maximize your talent. I could see Sark doing it. He did it when he really liked his wide receiver room. I don't know if he likes this room that much, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, CJ, pick up on that because that's interesting because uh, I thought it was interesting. Coach Jeff Banks, who coaches special teams and tight ends, uh, upon the uh, commitment of Silas Golden, uh, or Bolden, I should say, Matthew Golden, Silas Bolden. We'll get this right. <laughs> the law firm. Golden, yeah, Bolden, and Bond. Of, uh, Matthew Golden and Silas Bolden and Isaiah Bond. Uh, <laughs> but you see, he tweeted, speed, 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 times three. Real return game coming soon. So there's a special teams focus here, too. When Jeff Banks is kind of the one of the primary recruiters and uh, looking at that side of the ball with Matthew Golden and, and Silas Bolden, so they're trying to be impactful there. But speak to what Rod said. I've seen you tweeting about this, CJ. Uh, I know Rod and I have talked about it a lot. The ability to put four legitimate speedsters on the field, and you, know, you figure it out as a defense, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I was actually uh, before we went live tonight. I was watching a, a quick, you know coaching camp, coaching school video from Sarkeesian during his time at Washington in the sense that uh, his whole offensive philosophy is putting defenses in the bind in which they don't know where they're going to be attacked. And they also don't know who is going to be doing the attacking. When you look at what Texas is compiling right now at the receiver position, it's encouraging in the sense that there's a lot of speed and there's a lot of production right now in that wide receiver room, as well as when everything opens up and that playbook is at 100% you know, working factor right now, you don't know which one of these guys is going to be able to be that guy. Whereas you probably knew in the years past, it was going to be Xavier Worthy. You knew at times A.D. Mitchell was going to factor in. Aside from that, uh, aside from a handful of catches to Jordan Whittington in the wide receiving room, you didn't know necessarily who else could be a threat on the field at a time. That's no longer the case with what Texas is building right now. And I, you know, had, had you know, kind of struggled or kind of juggled the idea of what Silas's Bol Silas Bolden's addition to this room meant. And then I started going through the career receptions for everybody that was involved in this Texas wide receiving room. Before the portal additions, this is what it looked like. Jonte Cook, eight receptions. DeAndre Moore, zero. Ryan Niblett, zero. Four true freshmen coming in, zero receptions. Mm -hmm. That's seven wide receivers right there with eight career receptions that would have been what you were working with going into the 2024 season. Sarkeesian has now added 65 from, uh, from Isaiah Bond, 76 from Matthew Golden, and 80 from Silas Bolden, mm. all of which were wide receiver ones where they were, uh, all of which have great production, all of which have great talent and great burst and speed. Now it's Sarkeesian who gets to have a fun uh, 2024 season of getting to deploy these guys in the offense that he, you know, really kind of dreamt of having whenever he was at Texas. We always saw how how high of a, uh, of a ceiling that offense had at Alabama. When you talk about Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, uh, everybody in that room, it's looking like Sarkeesian is trying to replicate that once more now that he you know kind of has the pieces that he desires and and covets at Texas. And, and no one is happier than what Quinn Ewers should be feeling right now, knowing that he gets all these toys to, to play with in 2024. Well, Rod, speak to that because we've talked about it a lot. If you're a professional general manager, you don't want to, you know, live on hope, project hope. You want to, you want to fill your bases, right? I mean, yeah, with everything CJ just said, you're, yeah, you've recruited these guys. They're four or five star players, 
but they don't have any catches. They haven't played against uh, the SEC competition they're about to play. So, you know, they may win out. They may win the battle. They may win the competition, and who knows what happens, but you're bringing in production. Uh, yeah. don't, don't, don't play hope. Play production, guys who have done it. That's important, and uh, speak to the, both that and then, Rod, how important it is that you have a third-year starting quarterback uh, that, that knows this offense, to CJ's point of expanding the playbook, being able to uh, do more and more with, with uh, Quinn Ewers, that has to play into this as well. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Sarek, when you look at roster construction overall, um, you know, they approach it in a very professional way. You know, they have gaps, holes in the roster for whatever reason, transfer reported departures, uh, guys leaving to go to the NFL. And by the way, once this program gets rolling in the way that it's supposed to and competing for championships and, and playing to the standard every year, uh, they're going to be losing a lot of guys. That's, that's the hope, right? That a lot of guys are going on to the NFL and then you're creating that pipeline. Uh, so, yeah, when you have these holes, the transfer portal allows you to supplement your roster immediately uh, and urgently. And you can always tell, I mean, that we, we were worried about the wide receiver and the, um, the wide receiving room because they were losing so much production and look what they've done via the portal at the wide receiver room, right? You got three additions uh, and the DB room, you know, a little word about the DB room when you got one addition in Makuba, you got Jay Baird returning, which is good. Uh, and then there's talk, right? Potentially we talked about CJ about earlier that Texas still targeting DBs in the transfer portal. So they are very, they're very calculated. They're very uh, specific in what they target uh, in the transfer portal. It's all based on the roster construction and what they need. They organically would like to build the team, uh, I think, through recruiting. And Sark has already talked about that. But when there's an urgent need, this this group does not, like you said, they don't go on hope. Uh, and they make sure that they address it with proven commodities via the transfer portal. And if the other guys step up, then I, that's great. That's that's an added value. That That's a luxury for you. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to allow – Quinn Ewers last season at Texas to be potentially uh, derailed or even determined by the growing pains of a young wide receiving court. No, 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 Quinn, we won't do that to you. You're going to come back here as a, one of the most experienced, if not the most experienced quarterback potentially in the power five coming back. Then we would like you to have a your full complement of weapons. And you point this out, CJ, and I think it was a an eloquent, uh, astute, a uh, point that you made about uh, the development of Quinn Ewers, that the skill talent around him has uplifted his play the last two years. Now it's time for him to uplift the play of that skill talent. That's the next step for him. Um, I think that's what they're hoping, um, but they're a little insurance policy by getting him guys who've already done it at the highest level. Uh, and getting back to Quinn, I mean, I just think it's, you know, for, for Quinn, I think that's why you attracted these guys, right? Isaiah Bond said it. And that was part of the selling point for him was, oh, Quinn Ewers. These guys going to play in the NFL first-round caliber talent, that's part of the attraction. I'm sure if Silas Bolden, whenever a quote comes out, that'll be part of the attraction for him. Um, you know, that's the sales pitch. You want to come play with an experienced quarterback like Quinn Ewers, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and Sark's system, which is a, a quarterback-friendly system, but also a wide receiver-friendly system. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, I think my man CJ hinted at this, but I do think Sark at one point, he wants more position fluidity uh, within his wide receivers. And one thing that I was studying about Sark's offense, and this is actually from 2021, when Devontae Smith was asked about the biggest difference between Mike Loxley's offense and Sark's offense, essentially his he said it was position fluidity, that in uh, Mike Loxley's offense, there was more rigidity about where the guy's supposed to line up. Like Tom Herman, right? Tom Herman had an X, a Z, 
He had an H and guys, hey, we always saw, right, the guys lined up pretty much in the same spots all the time, even though Lohan fans were complaining about, hey, Devin Duvernay, you should move him around more, man. He's great. They wouldn't move him around. He was always in the H and in the slot. And it, here's the quote from Devontae Smith. The offense stayed the same, but it's not necessarily you're this receiver, that receiver. Whatever the formation, where you're at, that's where you at. You can be anywhere. One play, you can be outside. Next play, you can be in the slot. I think that kind of helps us all out. And helps us a lot because now we can all get a feel for the inside and the outside. Sark wants his receivers to be able to play any of those positions in the wide receiving core. And look at these guys they're bringing in. They almost all have the same dimensions. And CJ Brown, they, they're very similar. 5'11 to 6 foot, 185 to 190, 200. They're around that same dimensions because I think Sark wants these guys ultimately to be interchangeable. Um, and that's getting toward more positionless uh, football. Yeah, well, and that's what they're looking for on the defensive side, right? Uh, the same way, right? You're looking for malleability in your defensive backfield with bigger, faster, stronger guys that can cover, run, play multiple positions, kind of planning for other teams doing what you're doing. CJ, mention that again, what you watched on a Washington video. I think that's interesting about, but you know, piggybacking on what Rod just said about what Sark's base philosophy is offensively. If you're teaching at a camp, you're kind of talking about what your mindset is. To me, that's yeah, that's worth repeating again about um, you know if you're if you can press the defense and force the defense to what Rod just said, which is you don't know where our guys are going to be. You don't know where they're going to line up. It's not rigid. You can't plan for it. We're going to spring it on you. I think that is uh, that's 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 putting pressure on a defense to where they they can't uh, pigeonhole or plan for what you're going to do on a play by play or drive by drive basis. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, we're, we're starting to see the pieces fall in place for Sarkeesian to really start to implement what he hopes to be a positionless, uh, you know, approach at the wide receiver spot. I actually wanted to bring up a, a, a 2021 article from Brian Davis at the All-American Statesman where he quoted Steve Sarkeesian and actually had Hudson Card in there as well. <clears throat> He's This is a quote from Sarkeesian. We don't teach uh, our wide receivers to play one spot and only one spot on the field. And that's just what we're talking about. This is going back from 2021. This was the very beginning of what we saw at Steve Sarkeesian at, at Texas. And then obviously Hudson Card in the same article uh, for, for the receivers, there's not a certain position that they need to know. Uh, they need to know the play conceptually because they can interchange. I think film study really helped them from the spring until now. And we're going to need all of them. They're doing a great job. So he's talking about the wide receiver room in general and how it's progressing. But at the same time, he's pointing out, you know what? If, as long as they know the concept of the play, they're going to be on the field and know how to get the football because they know what the play is and how the play is designed, not necessarily what the position is in a specific play. Uh, they teach the route concepts. They teach the scheme concepts and how to get open against certain coverages, but not necessarily what the why and what the why only is doing throughout the entire playbook. I think that's very important for the Texas offense, especially with the way that we talked about right now. It's kind of looking like, they're cloning a certain mold of wide receiver and going just basically saying, here's four of them. You know, they're, <laughs> they all have 10, five, 10, six speed. They're all about six foot one eighty. stop them. And I don't think that, you know, that's an easy task for any defensive coordinator right now, especially with the production that these guys are bringing in. Right. Uh, that, that we talked about with golden, Bolden and bond. Uh, it's, you know, a, a tremendous wealth of talent acquisition that Sarkeesian has accumulated through the portal this offseason. And it certainly fits his ideology of how an offense needs to be run with the interchangeable, swappable pieces at the receiver position. This 
I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's feeling like Texas could be seeing its most complete wide receiving room in 2024. There's a lot of unlimited factors that you can kind of toss in with these new wide receivers and the current builds that they have. That's not to take away from what Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell and Jordan Winnington really were able to do last year. But I would say at times A.D. Mitchell was a little limited with what you could do with him route-wise. route, route wise. Jordan Whittington, not necessarily someone that you could throw in all over the field and expect him to thrive, though he did have, I would say, a tremendous season in his role in the slot. Right now you're getting basically four Xavier Worthies and saying good luck stopping this. And that's something that Texas should be very excited about whenever you're looking ahead and what could be the case for Texas offensively uh, as they move into the SEC. Yeah, and it's the On Texas Football Tuesday live stream presented by Energy Texas. Read all the energy we can get right now with this cold snap and the Arctic blast. Rod, I like the way uh, CJ just put that. It's the law firm of Golden, Bolton, and Bond and Cook, right? Put them in there. You're the DB guy, Rod. I mean, how difficult is that? I mean, if you've got and you do your circle of trust conversation about the receiving core, it almost is like to what CJ said in the quotes he's reading and what you've said. Sark wants receivers that see the field like his quarterback does, right? They want to be in synergy they okay what are you seeing where's the where's the, the coverage uh but man you're playing db rod and you got four guys that can run 10 5 10 5 and a half they all are super fast they can catch i mean that's the problem right there's no way to 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 uh well we'll talk about it you talk about what the problem that presents uh if you don't have a jt sanders on the field you're putting speed all over the all over the place Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, I mean, I you know I don't know if Sark is shifting. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I'm a football theorist, so I'm theorizing what I think Sark might do. But like I said, last time he had a receiving room that looked to be this loaded, he he did you know pivot a little bit, and he did just he he decided at one point to create a package, what they call the red package, to try you know to maximize that talent uh, night to present as much nightmare fuel to opposing defensive coordinators as possible. You know, I think that all offensive coordinators would do their best to put um, themselves in the defensive coordinator's shoes. You know, what what would be if you're a defensive coordinator facing Texas? What would the 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 uh, the, the what would be the scenario you you know you least like to face? Right? <laughs> What's the most difficult uh, problem that Texas could present to you? And I think that's kind of how you start the game plan. If you're Sark, right? You start with that scenario. That's why when Sark had his, you know, pony package that he created here at Texas um, for Bijan and Rojo, it made perfect sense because you're getting on the field. Bijan Rojo, JT Sanders, X-Man, 
and Jay Witt. You're putting all your best players on the field at one time. They're presenting numerous complicated problems for the defense to have to solve, whether it be threats in the running game or whether it be the passing game. Right. So I think in a in a sense, you can do that with this wide receiver room. I'm not saying make it a mainstay or an identity for you, but as a change of pace um, to complement what you're already doing, man, you can put all these wide receivers on the field together. You can blitz the opposing team with speed. He's done it before. Your quarterback is a seasoned veteran quarterback who shouldn't have trouble. Right. Processing what the defense is, is showing them. Even if it's a different pressure package, you got veteran offensive line. So even though you may end up with, you know, um, uh, you know, a five on six pressure package, or you may end up in a situation where you want to run the ball against uh, teams with a four wide package and a spread set. You still should be able to do that because you got a veteran offensive line. And like I said, you got a veteran quarterback that should be able to check and audible, get you in and out of really good scenarios with light boxes and heavy boxes or with against 40 personnel. Are they going to line up in sub packages? If you go four wide and they're going to play you with, uh, nickelback, or are they going to go with dime and play with six DBs? Because if they go with a nickelback, that means one of their safeties or their linebackers is matched up on a wide receiver or is matched up on Jaden Boo, who is considered to be one of the fastest running backs in college football. You put him in the backfield with all that speed that CJ's mentioning. You know, as a football theorist, my mind just can't stop racing. All right. Thinking <laughs> of those scenarios, because I don't know if a defensive coordinator can solve all those, like I said, complicated problems that that formation that personnel grouping can present in addition to the speed and all it takes is one broken tackle one missed assignment you know one guy with his eyes in the wrong place you know Sark uses misdirection that's what telling how he can use all these pieces so I'm just saying with JT Sanders gone it would and I'm not nothing against Gunnar Hellman Sark loves the tight end sets the tight end it's the second most important position in his offense behind quarterback so I'm not saying go away from that I'm just saying that's something should be additive. If you if you have these pieces and your wide receiver room becomes a strength, why not maximize it? There's I agree, you never take JT Sanders off the field. There was a reason you didn't do that. But now that he's gone, maybe explore like adding another back to the to the situation, like those pony packages, or adding another receiver to the mix to make you more explosive. I think Sark may be he may be entertaining the idea. That's all I'll say. Yeah, so if you're just tuning in with us, uh, Silas Bolden committing today from Oregon State. Speedster also helps on the special teams, punt return potentially. Uh, Matthew Golden also in that role, uh, in addition to Isaiah Bond, who committed over the weekend. Uh, Clint Kendrick Blackshear from Alabama, uh, CJ, committing. This is one from Duncanville, part of that South Dallas pipeline that's, that's now you know permeating that Texas locker room. A lot of guys from South Oak Cliff and uh, DeSoto and uh, Duncanville, uh, South Dallas. He's an Alabama transfer linebacker. What is uh, what does that mean? That just came down here before we started the live stream this evening. What does that uh, do for you? It certainly adds another piece to the linebacking room in which Texas is hoping to find production to replace Jalen Ford, who was probably the biggest key on this defense for the last two years as Texas really started to make improvements in the defense into that top 30 nationally scoring defensive range. Uh, this year they were top 20, right at 17, I want to say. It certainly helps finding capable pieces to maintain the depth necessary for an entire season that you need in that front seven. Now there needs to be an attention torn turned towards, you know, the defensive line, because that's really the biggest question mark right now. And uh, a little sidebar here, uh, Aaron, that some recruiting news. DeAndre Robinson has been let go from his NLI that he signed to Texas 
as a result of Bo Davis taking the LSU job. So that is something Texas is now in the process of of losing a piece from their 2024 recruiting class. DeAndre Robinson no longer a member, no longer expected to sign or in, enroll at Texas at the moment. He could obviously end up in, with Texas, depending on who Texas ends up hiring when that decision is made at the defensive line search. But for now, he is not expected to be joining the Texas football program as an early enrollee. He is released from his NLI, and options will be obviously open to him for where he is going to play college football at the next level uh, as soon as, I, I guess, you know, the next week when it comes to getting on campus early as an early enrollee. Obviously, I have to sign with a new program. But uh, to the point, Texas is still active in the, in the defensive line portal room. Uh, they are looking for a piece. It obviously has to be the right piece, someone that Texas is familiar with, someone that they believe will walk in and be uh, a smooth transition to the culture, something that we've obviously talked ad nauseum at and uh, expect Texas to continue a high production of play in the defensive line. So that's where we're at in the defensive line. But behind them, Kendrick Blackshear, a great depth piece and someone that can certainly help fit the run and stop the run when given the opportunity. Yeah, can really run and maybe even on special teams can help you out. Kind of a Jet Bush kind of player, uh, David Benda kind of player, David Benda coming back. Uh, well, that'll be interesting because, you know, we've talked about the intentionality of the staff uh, looking to fill holes. I mean, defensive backfield has been rebuilt. Jade Barron, Andrew Makuba, the attack of the uh, recruiting on the high school level receiver we've talked about. Um, what about tight end, CJ and Rod? I mean, there's a Stanford tight end that we've heard from uh, that may be visiting a three-year starter at uh, Stanford. Uh, over 1,300 yards is that is that a real possibility when you're looking to keep that important you know bring another piece in to go with Gunnar Helm and Juan Davis? It certainly is a possibility, and there's two guys to keep an eye on right now. Obviously, the Stanford tight end Ben Yurcich, who is in the portal, expected to take visits to Georgia and Texas this this uh, upcoming week, and obviously Armari Nyblack out of Alabama, who we've mentioned a possibility of over the last week or so since the Nick Saban uh, news went down. We're obviously waiting on Nye Black to officially show up in the portal. He has announced intentions to enter the portal. Obviously, we are now waiting on that to become official word from uh, the, the University of Alabama to insert his name into the, the portal and basically show up in the database. Uh, right now, it's a, you know, if you're Texas, you get a great opportunity to bolster that tight end room with a, 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 really a, a split of really talented prospects right here. Nye Black and Juricic, two talented prospects, a lot of production from the side of Ben Juricic. I want to say he's over 1,100 yards receiving for his career at Stanford, uh, though used as a more traditional inline blocker. That production alone speaks volumes to how he was used and how productive he can be in the passing game. And obviously, Armani Nye Black is more built like a deer. He's 6'5", 235, can run very well, has great uh, uh, ability to move down the field. A lot like what we're talking about right now in Texas, getting speed in the receiving game. Nye Black fits that mold a little bit better. Uh, he was used 46% of his snaps at Alabama as a, a slot, lined up in the slot 40% on the inline, which is about 20% or twenty percent increase from what we saw with Jatavian Sanders, who only lined up about 20% of his snaps uh, as a true slot, more 64 66%. Uh, as a true inline tight end. So those are the splits with the two right there. I don't have them for Juricic, but that's what you're getting right now when, when you're evaluating both uh, Amari Nyblak and Ben Juricic from Stanford and Alabama, respectively. And, Rod, Pete Thamel reported that uh, uh, Juricic from Stanford was 
uh, at Georgia this weekend, and now he's going to make a visit to Texas this week. Well, Georgia's recruiting. They're obviously trying to play Blake, replace Blake Bowers, who's off to the NFL. <laughs> You're trying to replace Jatavion Sanders. They're both in the mix for him. Uh, he's obviously looking for a spot where he can fill. That, that seems like a lot of production from a guy who's 6'4 and 245 pounds. Yeah, and there's no replacing either of those guys, right? Those guys are matchup nightmares and they're uh, just unique freaks. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this offense without JT Sanders. That's that's physically that was the most gifted tight end that Sark's ever had in his in any of his offenses, I believe. You don't think he's ever had a talent uh, with you know that kind of high end ath- athleticism like a guy like JT Sanders coming in as a five star uh, talent. So I, I do think he loves Gunnar Helm. Um, but Gunnar Helm's just a, a different uh, tight end. Um, doesn't have the kind of explosive potential uh, and I think doesn't have the ability to kind of move around the formation as much as J.T. Sanders, as C.J. mentioned. Um, that's a tight end that you want. And it seems like no matter who they get, they're going to be a little bit more restricted in where they can put their tight end and hunt matchups because that's what they did with J.T. They just hunted matchups, man. They moved them around, shifted them before the, 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 uh, before the, uh, the snap, all looking for – who is going to end up responsible for the tight end if I put him in the backfield or if I put him in the slot, if I put him in line, if I flex, if I put him outside, who's going to end up taking the tight end? Because if it's a linebacker, let's take it. Then we'll go. And, and, and they often would do that, right? They'd hunt matchups, find out, oh, in this formation, this uh, particular coverage, it's going to be the linebacker that has to take them. All right, we're going screen, boom, misdirection, and we'll find our matchups. I don't know if they can do that as much now with these other tight ends. Not that they won't be able to do it schematically, but I don't know if you get the same benefit and return on that investment if it ain't a JT Sanders, you know, run after the catch ability. So uh, either one of these guys, I mean, you do need more unique proven commodities at tight end, but that's why I am, like I said, theorizing that uh, a little, little bit, maybe five to 10% of your 12 personnel snaps, one back, two tight ends can become pony package snaps, or it can become even some, no 10 personnel snaps if you need it. And Sark should be ready to pivot that way. If the, if he has to potentially. All right. Uh, we'll pivot to some uh, other conversations coming up here, but because uh, I want to talk about the Dwayne Aquinas situation, which may be pivoting uh, to a new place and a, a new conversation. I do want to tell you about Energy Texas. And, uh, you know, we're dealing with a hard freeze here. <laughs> Energy Texas is is, is uh, run by Texans for Texans right here in Central Texas and all through the great state. Uh, make sure you're, uh, you know, getting on board with Energy Texas, dealing with an Arctic snap that has got below freezing temperatures across the great state. Our friends at Energy Texas will more about tell you more about them coming up and how you can uh, get a hold of them. But let me mention this, guys, because I got a message this morning, Rod, during our show on the Horn in Austin uh, from somebody I've been communicating with about Dwayne Aquina, who kept warning me, it's not done, it's not done, because a lot of reports were that it's done, and it kept being told, you know, it's not official yet. Dwayne's having a hard time, Coach Aquina having a hard time making a decision. And the message I got this morning, you may have gotten the same one, Rod, or, or something similar, that Aquina wants to coach kids on the field. He wants to be on the field on game day. He's not sure about the whole analyst role thing where you're up in the booth. And uh, he said he wants to be able to coach kids on game day. Um, and then the development of today was that uh, that Arizona has replaced Jed Fish, who left for Washington. And uh, Brett Brennan has come in from San Jose State and has offered Dwayne Aquina a position on the staff, you know, with the coaching staff. And that, uh, that Dwayne Aquina is leaning towards staying to coach defensive backs or whatever his position is going to be, which lines up with a, a message I got this morning, guys, 
that, um, you know, Brett Brennan, who's coming, Brent Brennan, coming in from San Jose State to replace Jed Fish, sees Dwayne Aquino as an on-field coach, and that maybe that wasn't the, the case here, where, you know, to, to bring in Dwayne Aquino to be an on-field coach and, and someone who's on the field on game day, coaching, coaching players, you'd have to move on from somebody else. Uh, you know, this is kind of where that's trending. So Longhorn fans who are maybe excited about Dwayne Aquino coming in, I'd, I'm still excited for Coach Aquino. I'm sure you are too, Rod, that maybe he's getting a new opportunity at Arizona where he was an analyst last year. Just y'all's thoughts on the, the very latest on that front. Yeah, um, I mean, I basically I was hearing that it was close, uh, but it hadn't um, hadn't happened yet because uh, there was some hesitation by Coach Akin. I think the hesitation was that he was waiting on a better opportunity, and he he deserves a better opportunity. I was, I mean, the truth is Texas was going to get a steal to have him as an analyst, uh, and and Sark has been able to attract some big time analysts. Right, you had Gary Patterson as your special assistant to the head coach, Paul Christ. Right, former uh, head coaches uh, in college football, great head coaches in college football. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's disappointing, um, but I, I totally understand. I totally get it. These things, there's a, there, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of breaking news around this time, a lot of coaching changes. I am not, especially on the West Coast, I'm not surprised at all. He's a West Coast guy that Coach Akina's name came up. I, I thought it would come up when Coach Fish went to, went to Washington potentially that it may come up there. Uh, but I'm not surprised that he came up at Arizona. And he's only got a few places where Coach Aquino feels comfortable. You know, Texas is one of those spots. Go look at his resume. It's like Texas, Arizona is one of those spots. You know, he doesn't go many places. And he in the places that he does end up, he he got he end up he ends up coming back, circling back to those spots often. That's why Texas did have a shot. And I know he 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 was interested. There's no question about it. Uh but they they didn't have room for him. You're talking about obviously a very different pay scale when you're an assistant as opposed to an analyst. Um, so yeah, coach Keenan got to do what's best for him. And I'm not surprised that he wants to be out there with the players. His spirit is one that as an analyst, he would give you great knowledge uh, and he would give you, you know, I, I think great advanced scouting and self scouting, uh, but man, you would lose his recruiting energy. He's a, he's a recruiting ace in my opinion. He's got great energy on the recruiting trail. And you will lose that that game day energy for him. That's that vibe on the sideline. He's one of those guys where you know that's uh, something you can't really quantify. Uh, what Coach Aquino brings to the table uh, in terms of his sideline vibe and his um, ability to relate to players and connect with players. Like you said, he can't do that as an analyst. So I get it. I totally understand, and I'm happy for Coach Aquino. Yeah, uh, and so Longhorn fans who were hoping that could be the case. Um, Maybe not, and probably not, because there's a change of circumstance. And that anybody wondering, you know, for folks who reported it was it was bound to happen or likely to happen, there was a real chance. I mean, there were conversations for sure, CJ, oh, yeah. happening. Uh, but to Rod's point, uh, didn't want to agree to anything until he knew the whole lay of the land, and he wasn't going to run off to you know the East Coast or wherever. As Rod said, he was going to stay pretty local. He was going to stay West Coast or Texas. But uh, this this op- this opportunity presented itself. And now he's going to get to back on the field and kind of felt like from when from someone I was texting with that to, to Rod's point about his, his spirit animal, he wanted to be on the field. You know, maybe that analyst thing wasn't his, he only did it for one year. So maybe not, you know, his, his favorite thing. If I'm going to coach, I want to coach. I want to be yep. with these guys, coaching these guys, recruiting these guys like he did with Rod B. Yeah. And also when you talk about the financial considerations as well, it's probably around a 300 to $400,000, uh, per year annual salary bump being on the field than it is being an analyst. That's also something worth considering. But, Rod, I thought you made a really good point. 
his passion is coaching. His passion is being on the field, being able to talk to his guys, looking his defensive backs in the in the, in the eye on the game on on game days on Saturdays, and saying, you know, what what do we got to do? What's the adjustment? How can I, you know, help switch this game around, basically? And if Arizona is giving him that opportunity. I, I I couldn't blame him at all. Obviously, a return to Texas would be nice. Uh, on Texas football has obviously heard uh, this past this past uh, afternoon. No decision has been finalized one way or another. There's not yet been a, a clear-cut decision uh, whether or not he's returning to Arizona or coming through with his uh, Texas you know, acceptance analyst, analyst role, whatever it might be. So we're in a waiting period right now. I, I hope Coach Aquina is obviously sitting back home, uh, staying warm as possible, and obviously you know, evaluating just what he might be doing for 2024. But no decision yet has been made. Uh, but it does make sense, all the sense in the world, to return to Arizona if being on the field uh, is mm-hmm. what he hopes to do. And, you know, given his track record, it certainly makes a lot of sense for him to be given that opportunity. Yep. And, guys, it's interesting that uh, Johnny Nansen, uh, who has come in as the linebackers coach, you know, he was thought as a candidate maybe at Arizona to replace him yeah. and Jed Fitch. So he's staying. That's a good thing. Uh, you're going to keep it. Uh, CJ, any word on uh, defensive line and where they're going here with Bo Davis off to LSU? Um, you know, I've heard Rod Wright is someone they're talking to. Rod Wright, of course, coaching with the Houston Texans. They're still playing. They're by the Ravens this weekend. Rod Wright's an assistant defensive line coach there. That one seems to make some, make some some sense. Frank Ocam, a lifetime Longhorn as well. What are you hearing on the D-line coach front? Yeah, it certainly makes sense to me that the hiring will come from the NFL side of things. That's, you know, just reading the tea leaves. Uh, if you go back to the Chris Jackson hiring, it followed this timeline almost to a T where Texas pursued an NFL caliber guy. Uh, their job obviously is not over until their season concludes. And fortunately for the Texans and their fans, they're still being able to sit back on Sunday and watch their team play football in which Rod Wright is coaching. So if he is the guy, it makes a lot of sense for a decision to be pushed off a little bit more. I think the, the hiring will come from the NFL. Texas is valuing uh, development at their positions significantly more than going out and finding, say, an ace recruiter. Uh, I know jo- uh, Johnny Nansen fits that ace recruiting role in the poly community specifically and also in the West, ty- uh, West Coast ties. However, you're at the University of Texas now and you're winning. That recruits itself. You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about how, you know, almost seamless it is for Texas to be uh, on the recruiting trail whenever things are going right on the field. There's very little that opposing teams can use against the University of Texas when the wins are stacking up, as we saw from this past season, running to the college football playoff. We're now about to witness probably 100 kids come in for a junior day in which we haven't seen anything like that since Sarkeesian took over this job. So recruiting will take care of itself on the field at Texas. Can you continue to develop and get get those guys to the NFL? That's the biggest key, and obviously the play on Saturdays uh, is very important for what Sarkeesian wants to do uh, during his time at Texas, I think they end up with an NFL hire. Well, I say this, Rod, uh, you know, Rod, let's just present, pretend it's Rod Wright, uh, AKA Chris Jackson a year ago with the wide receivers who, you know, kind of his receivers at Jacksonville overachieved, I thought. And, uh, there were a lot of, a lot of ridicule of the Jacksonville Jaguars when they signed, uh, the, you know, gave the big free agent contracts to receivers and they came in and played great. I mean, they played into the playoffs, um, you know, won a playoff game. Uh, it's kind of like the Texans where Rod Wright's there. He's not the defensive line coach. He's the assistant defensive line coach. Uh, but that that plays big, right? A, a lifetime Longhorn who uh, is now developing players that level. And you and I, Rod, have watched the Texans all year. 
that D-line's played a lot better than most people anticipated with Malik Collins up front, uh, Sheldon Rankins, who's uh, had, a, had a really good year for Houston. And we know D'Amico Ryan's a defensive coach, but, uh, you know, Rod Wright's got to be, be a part of that. That sells. Uh, when you're talking about what CJ said to young guys that, you know, I've been to the NFL, played in the NFL, and now have developed players in the NFL, uh, that speaks volumes to young guys who that's their goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – it's definitely intentional by Sark that, that he wants that NFL connection. I mean, it seems like all the guys on on offense that are coaching, except for Jeff Banks, have NFL connections. Deshaun Choice, Kyle Flood, Sark himself, uh, AJ Milwee. I guess he's maybe the only one that doesn't either. But it seems like you know, it, there's more and more of these guys now. Obviously, with if I think I think CJ's right. If it is uh, Rod Wright, then you got an NFL connection there, and Chris Jackson's NFL connection. And yeah, I think it as you know, we this becomes more of an offensively influenced game at every level. Uh, and, you know, even the great Nick Saban once uh, admitted that, hell, man, I, I have a hard time as the GOAT, the greatest defensive mind in the history of college football, one of the great defensive minds in the history of football, period. I have a hard time convincing players to play defense these days. They don't want to play defense. <laughs> and Trevon Diggs cried when when, Alan, when when Nick Saban switched into defense and now he's an all-pro in the NFL. But he cried because he wanted to play offense because guys want to play offense. And I do think for Sark, it's a it's an easy pitch, man, because these guys, everybody wants to play in the NFL. That's their dream. And it's an easier pitch when you go into a household as a coach and you can say, hey, I either played in the NFL or I coached in the NFL and you are an NFL player. You just got to do what I tell you. You just got to listen to me. You listen to me. You work hard. And you're going to, I'm telling you right now, you're an NFL player. I played against, I, I played in the NFL or I coached in the NFL. You're an NFL player. That's the pitch. And every player wants to hear that. Every 17 year old kid wants to hear that. Oh, you, you, you played in the NFL, coach? And, and, and I'm, I'm an NFL player? Yeah. Okay. There you go. And that's part of the pitch. So I, I think naturally, Sark, and if, if it's not intentional, I would be surprised. I think it is intentional, and that's going to be a part of their pitch going forward. Once they develop the pipeline in the NFL on the O-line, wide receiving core, running back room, quarterback, once them pipelines start developing and they're producing NFL players year after year, um, and then they can obviously go back on them. Like, oh, no, we develop NFL players because we, we, we got the eyes for it. We got the evaluations for it. We know what NFL talent looks like because this guy coached the NFL. This guy played in the NFL because that's what it's all about in the end. I think – so I think it is something that it's it's premeditated on Sark's part. And I think it's brilliant, by the way. Yeah. CJ, you speak to that. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're preaching to, to, this, to the young guy and the dad. I'm going to get you to the NFL and you're preaching to mama. Sark comes in and says, we're going to take care of him or you give him a degree. He's going to get a degree at University of Texas. This is a big, this is a big sell, right? Everybody's happy now. I'm going to get you to the NFL. We're going to get a degree from UT and uh, we're going to take care of them while they're there. That's as you say, there's not a lot to recruit against right now with Texas playing the CFP and playing for championships and building the roster they're building. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Rod, I actually like that point a lot because for position coaches, you can come in and say all those things and that'll resonate well. And then Sarkeesian can come in at the end and say, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're going to win and you're going to have a great time in Austin. And yeah. that's just the icing on the cake because that's exactly what everybody wants to do whenever they go pick their school and go play in college. They want to develop. They want to become as, as you know, as great of an NFL prospect as they can be. Oh, and they also want to win. And, you know, I, I, I talk about iron sharpening iron all the time. You come to Texas right now with the way that this roster is stacking up talent at seemingly every position. Those practices are going to get you where you want to go, regardless of who's coaching you. If you can add an NFL caliber guy who has been in the league, who has taught in the league, 
uh, who has excelled in both of those, it only magnifies what those kids are going to see in Texas whenever they sit back down at the end of the day and write out those pros and cons lists for every school that is recruiting them at the moment. So, uh, it, again, we, we, we talk about it, and at, at points it feels like we're, we're beating it into the ground. But when Texas is winning on the field, there really aren't many things that opposing schools can point to and say, yeah, well, we have the upper edge on them. Coming off of this year right now, there's what? Three schools in the country that can say that? You know, yeah. Washington and Michigan, maybe a Georgia if they put out 10 guys in the NFL again. That's one of those things right now where Texas now has the upper hand in seemingly every recruiting battle that they, they face as a result of their on-field performance. Yeah. Well, and as you just said it, Washington, Michigan, and Alabama – May have new coaches next year, which would be pretty interesting if uh, if uh, Jim Harbaugh jumps to the National Football League. Uh, this is where the state of college athletics is, and uh, you know that is that's really good conversation, guys. And if it's Rod Wright, I mean, as you've talked about Rod, it could be uh, you know what what do you want? What are you going to do for Texas? What are you bringing to Texas? Because he can sell uh, the lifeline lifetime Longhorn concept and conversation as well on the mm -hmm. D line. Uh, Bo Davis is a big miss and a big loss for Texas, but. Uh, there are good D-line coaches out there. Uh, Matthew tells us we've got a, a chat, a question about the D-line, a super chat. As a matter of fact, appreciate that on the super chat side. Being a few guys in the portal that flip their commitments to other schools, let's say we bring in a D-line coach, Caldwell, could use a uh, flipping from Oregon back to Texas, especially our immediate need is there. Uh, pick that up. CJ, we talked about DeAndre Robinson uh, from Orlando, Florida, four-star defensive lineman for the class of 2024, has been let out of his letter of intent. Uh, he, you know, soured on the uh, situation when Bo Davis jumped to LSU. He was the primary recruiter on that uh, young guy. Uh, what's what's out there? I know Jamari Caldwell committed to Oregon. Uh, what is what, where are we as far as the defensive line recruitment uh, side of things? Yeah, Texas is actually running up against the clock a little bit here as a result of classes starting and kids getting on the campus wherever they committed or or intended to transfer to right away. Excuse me. We, we talk about Texas uh, signing up for classes and, and beginning classes for the spring semester this week, actually. So uh, there's a two week ad drop here for Texas to continue to add pieces to their to their roster. Obviously, they'd have to be on campus by, I believe, January 30th is the final day there. I'll have to double check. But for other schools, you're starting to see kids get on campus and, and really take part in their new football roster. So that's something to be mindful of. Uh, for Texas, I actually think going into the spring semester when you have uh, a defensive line coach under the wings now, you look you know, at what Texas will need on the defensive line. That will continue to be a need regardless of what happens in the spring uh, football practice session. So uh, I actually look towards that next window in the middle of and towards the end of April as when Texas will really start getting active on the defensive line. More names will start to enter the portal, more guys with production experience, everything that we talked about Texas coveting uh, in their portal targets. That will be a, a time in which more names will begin uh, filing into the portal and really starting getting a better understanding of what the needs are on the defensive line. We do believe that they need another piece down there, but you also get an entire spring of development for the guys that are already on campus to just reaffirm whether or not a piece needs to be added or not, or really two pieces. Yeah, I'd say yeah, yeah at multiple pieces. Yeah, speak to that, Rod. I mean, that's uh, where they're at, right? Trill Carter into the portal. It's Alfred mm -hmm. Collins, Zadir Mitchell. Um, you know, Brandon what do you think that up front? What's that? Yeah, Brandon Brandon Brandon. Brandon. 
Yeah, but they're, yeah. they were rotating five and six guys last year. So so pieces would become the question. Uh, but, you know, NFL teams know this. Everybody knows this. you can't fill all the holes all the time. But to uh, CJ's point, you may not be able to do it in this window. You may have to wait through spring, see, see what happens in April when the portal opens again after everybody has spring practice and you've got the summer semester to look forward to to uh, maybe address. And you'll get to see the guys that you have and see exactly where you are. Yeah, it is uh, it's definitely the, the scariest question mark on the team right now is the interior D-line because, as you mentioned, two years ago, you had the deepest defensive tackle room in the country. Right. And last year you had the best D tackle duo in the country. Uh, <laughs> and then you're going to go from that to, like I said, Alfred Collins and Vernon Bryden. Um, I do believe those guys are, are, are going to be adequate. And I think Alfred Collins got it going to play on uh, Sundays. Um, but I, I don't know if you're going to have the best D tackle room in the country. And I don't know if you're going to have the deepest D tackle room in the country. And you're going to be missing what's called the best D D line coach in the country. In Bo Davis. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, the you know, if they're truly uh, this will be the test for the talent development. Right. We know this coaching staff can't develop. Talent. They've done a really good job. Sark's done a great job of hiring coaches uh, as well. And it's going to test both of those. Right. It's going to test his ability to hire, hire a good coach and test their ability to develop talent. And I think it's going to test PK's ability to adjust the scheme to a potential weakness. That's been a strength for you for the last two years, and it could potentially be a weakness. How is the defense going to look? Is Does it become a more perimeter-oriented defense where you're built and constructed because your strengths are in the secondary, your strengths are on the edges, um, so you're built from being a, a defense that's a front seven defense where your front seven is your strength like it was last year, Jalen Ford, Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat, and now you're a back seven. Maybe your strength with Anthony Hill and Jade Barron and Makuba and Derek Williams and hopefully those young corners uh, they get better. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see if PK changes up his play calling strategy if that is indeed the case. But hopefully you bid a lot of bodies in there and you don't have to worry about that and you have some uh, steady rotation. But even if you do have a a, a consistent rotation of guys, they ain't going to be. What no. you I, I just don't anticipate it being with Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, Moral Ojimo, you know, uh, Cobra. All those guys have been uh, for the last. Yeah, two you're not years. you're not gonna have a, a fresh stud on the field at all times, Rod. No, you know what I mean. I Where you're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's hard to do. But you also have like Trey Moore coming in from UTSA, Colin Simmons, Ethan yeah. Burke, Colton Vosick. You should Those be better edge on the edges. I'm saying, they're the edges. I think your yeah. edges, you may, you may be a you may be constructed from the outside in in terms of your yeah. strengths now, instead of the inside out. And I'm saying yeah. that's why PK it'll be different. You got to call the that's gonna be a different yeah. the way you call the game then if you're constructed yeah. in that way. Yeah, that's right. Rod and Aaron, I, I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on this. I, I I've been brainstorming it just a little bit, this take kind of workshop in it. If you're yeah. Steve Sarkeesian, and obviously you'd prefer to have you know, a lockdown defense every single year, given what you bring to the table offensively with the pieces and the mind and the scheme and everything that goes into a Sarkeesian offense. But if you're Steve Sarkeesian, would you not prefer a defensive back heavy approach, you know, a, a pass game ready approach to a defense uh, more so than some, than one that can stop the run as we saw Texas be, uh, you know, very capable of doing this past year. You talk about Texas being able to score with just about any team in the, in the country with the pieces that they got, the quarterback that they got, and obviously the offensive line coming back. 
we really saw the one kryptonite to a Texas team twice this year, and that's a team that can score and score quickly through the air. You know, that was the strength of Oklahoma. They couldn't run the ball. They had four running backs that never seemingly took uh, a step above one another. Obviously, Washington, we know how good Penix was and those three wide receivers were. That was the one shape and mold of a team that could keep up with Texas, regardless of the game plan that they had in store. Throwing the ball through the air, Texas is able to prevent that or slow that down more so than running the football. I think Texas would prefer, prefer that and Steve Sarkeesian specifically because he knows that's the only way that teams will be able to keep up with his high-flying, high-scoring offense. Oh, that's a good theory. I'm with you on that. That's interesting uh, because, yeah, the only way teams got back in the game this year is when they went past first and they were mm-hmm. able to just totally sidestep your strength and avoid your strength, which was your rush defense and your interior D tackles and their ability to, uh, you know, pressure the pocket uh, and it collapsed the pocket from the inside. Or that, That's interesting. I like that. I like that theory, CJ. You'd I'm obviously like, prefer to have both, right? Like you'd prefer yeah, to have a every- great run-stopping team and a great team in the secondary as well. But I think if you're Sarkeesian, you have to choose one. I think you'd want to have the good edge rushers maybe give up yeah. a little bit on the interior, but make sure that that secondary is not allowing 400 yards a game in conference play because that's really, as we saw, the number one way teams were able to get back in the games. Houston did it. With the crossing routes, TCU had some big chunk plays. Alabama in that third quarter, the way that they got down the field and scored every every drive was seemingly with 30 or 40-yard pass plays uh, that just torched the secondary. So I think if you had to choose a strength, Sarkeesian would lean a little bit more towards that secondary being as, you know, as sound and, and, you know, uh, efficient as, as we thought the defensive line was this year. You're saying like Sark's, Sark's blueprint to win a pass-first team matches up better with Sark's yeah. blueprint to win, and his version of complementary football may be better with a really good pass defense as opposed to an elite rush defense. Yeah, It may match up better. I know I, I see what you're putting No, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I like that. It's a good take. It's quality no, take. No, it's interesting. Well, and you look at the last, you know, five or six national champions. I mean, that's where you want to start. That's where the long ones want to be. You know, Michigan, Georgia, and Georgia were both, right? I mean, they were dominant defensive yeah, yeah. line. And great coverage, and they just beat you with physicality, right, uh, all the way through. Those, but that's hard to build. I mean, it really is. Those, I, it's almost like those, those, you know, those two Georgia teams, the Michigan team. I mean, those guys were so solid, number one defenses in the country. Could beat you up front and just beat the heck out of you and run like crazy. Twenty twenty was Alabama, and that was the Tua team, right? I mean, that was the uh, or the. Uh, am I right about that? Is that that was the Mac Jones team, right, with Sark in twenty twenty? Yeah. Joe Burrow was twenty nineteen, which was more of an offensive team, but. To your point, CJ, great with with uh, Derek Stingley and a great pass yeah. defense that could outscore you. Yep. Uh, Clemson was the year before that with Alabama. Clemson was more up front. But, you know, I, I see what y'all are saying, that Sarks is, you know, whereas Jim Harbaugh is more pound the rock and beat, play great defense, Sarks can outscore you, put points on the board, and then make you chase him. And if you can rush the passer and play great coverage, you're going to, you know, stretch the lead and, and win the football game. Yeah, and again, you'd clearly prefer to have an elite set of defensive linemen as well as an elite set of edge rushers, linebackers, everything. Yeah, You want to be just like Georgia and Michigan that we've talked about, but in the sake of having to choose just one, I kind of lean towards a, a running game having to go through all 11 guys, whereas a passing play might have to just be the corner out back or you know get behind <laughs> yeah. a safety, and that's really the way in which you are able to score points. So, again, prefer to have – 
as good a talent at every single position on the field. And that's the approach that we're seeing right now with this staff. And that's encouraging. Uh, but if the weakness is on the interior, but the secondary takes a step forward, I feel comfortable with Texas's ability to still outscore its opponents next year, given the strength of the offense and what it's expected to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah, a great conversation theory. for sure. Uh, and let me ask you this, CJ, this is uh, coming from a place of ignorance. Um, the portal closes at some point, right? And you just talked about school starting, which kind of eliminates the portal because you got to enroll in school for the semester if you're going to do that. And there's an ad drop period. But Arizona's defensive players are now, with Jed Fish's move, they're available, right? 30 days. I mean, if, if Jim Harbaugh leaves, Michigan's players become available for 30 days. I mean, so, I mean, that th- this whole thing makes your head spin when you think about it, that how all that works. I mean, how do they get enrolled in school? Do you have to wait till the spring on those guys? I think it's probably the same for the players on the roster. Is there a way to know how all that works, what, what, what Arizona's players can do right now? And, you know, because Jed Fish is now going to Washington. They're hiring the San Jose State coaches we talked about. So maybe Johnny Nansen has some insight on some guys on the D-line or whatever. But at the same time, they got to get them in and get them in class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about the portal adding an entire wrinkle to college football in the world that we see and know it as currently. Well, enrollment following a portal entry is a couple wrinkles of itself, especially when you start talking about the West Coast schools that are on quarter systems rather than a bi-semester uh, kind of start, you know, whatever. I, I, I can't even go into the quarter system. I just know out in Washington, they're a little bit funkier than what you expect. They start later, they go later. It's a weird deal. Um, for, for Texas specifically, school starts this week. Two weeks from now, the ad drop will end. When coaches uh, make changes, when, when programs make changes at their, their head coaching staff, uh, that still enables the 30-day window for that team and that roster to enter the portal without uh, any repercussions at the moment. So that will be something to watch if the enrollment period for Texas is concluded past January 30th or whenever it is. That's when you start having to wait until the spring uh, period window for Texas to begin really adding pieces again from the portal and getting them on the campus right away. Obviously, the latest that you'd like to have them on campus is June 1st when everybody is back on campus, back in school, going into summer conditioning and everything along the lines of that. Uh, Texas saw that uh, a a few years ago with a a few portal pieces uh, in which they came in on the June 1st date rather than at the turn of the semester. So when you talk about these Pac-12 schools, and there's a few on the East Coast as well, you got to you know, really start figuring in just what type of semester system that they're on because that plays a part in it. Now that also plays into what it is at Texas, which is, uh, you know, you got the fall semester, spring semester, get them on the campus, and obviously a two-week window to add drop is the final time in which uh, classes will really get finalized for the guys that are joining the Texas football program. All right, just tuning in. We're going to wrap this thing up here shortly. If you have questions, please ask them here on the On Texas Football uh, Tuesday live stream brought to you by Energy Texas. Now, when the day began, the Longhorns had four portal commitments. As the day will end, they have six with the addition of now former Oregon State wide receiver Silas Bolden. Uh, He has come in. Also, Kendrick Blackshear, uh, a linebacker from Alabama. And uh, there could be more. Longhorns still pursuing the tight end from from, uh, Stanford to watch. Uh, Yursich is a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Kevin wants to know who is the, who will be the most impactful transfer guys. Their way to put a finger on that. Is it Isaiah bond? Is it Andrew Makuba? Is it Trey Moore? I mean, we're speculating here, but that's what January is about. Uh, any guess on who that might be for you guys? 
You know, it's it's interesting because these guys are so talented. There's so many impactful guys that we've talked about on in terms of the targeted approach to getting guys to play right away. You know, that's what we've been pounding the drum for. I look at Isaiah Bond as the the, the clear cut wide receiver one for Texas. Uh, I I know that that room is adding a lot of people with a lot of production. Isaiah Bond to me has what you cannot teach, and that's ability to. Uh, separate via speed, separate with the ball in his hands, and obviously production on the biggest stages at the biggest time in which a lot of these guys do not currently have. On top of that, I love what Trey Moore brings on that defensive line. You've got to be able to get after the quarterback. Texas did that not well enough, however, in 2023. If he's able to get to the quarterback and create that extra, uh, a little bit of, of worries for the opposing offense, Creating, you know, negative plays for the Texas defense will become just that much more important and that much more impactful as a result of having, uh, you know, seeing it more and more uh, often on the field. So Trey Moore, Isaiah Bond, those are the two guys that I'm looking to to really make the largest instant impacts right away. Hey, uh, yeah, Makuba uh, and Jade coming back. I mean, is that kind of where you're leaning or where are you? Well, I'm just going to say, just because of the wide receiver and the numbers, it's definitely going to be the wide receiver room, guys, because you lost all your, your production via uh, guys leaving X-Men, uh, A.D. Mitchell, Jay Witt. Um, because so much of your production is leaving and you're infusing it with proven commodities, and those guys, as Jeff Banks just tweeted out, they're going to be impactful on special teams. Whether you're talking about Matthew Golden or you're talking about Silas Bolden, Isaiah Bond's going to be the number one wide receiver. It's definitely going to be the wide receivers, guys. It's just – it is. It, and you know, it's going to be one of those guys, if not that entire group, just because of the, the production they have to replace. And like I, and like I just mentioned, they have elite uh, punt return and kick return guys back there. Matthew Golden is yeah. one of the best kickoff returns in the country. Uh, Silas Bolden is one of the most explosive uh, punt returners, kick returners in the country, and he hadn't even had that many opportunities. So those two guys returning kicks and returning punts, uh, that's going to take that return game to another level. So it's going to be that group. It's just – and I, he brought up Isaiah Bond as well. It's going to be that group. But I'll say this on the other side with Makuba. Uh, Makuba is – if it's where I think it's going – versatility has been the buzzword back there in the defensive backfield all off season long. Um, you go look at the uh, introductory press conference for the uh, 2024 recruiting class. When he's talking about the DBs, um, and he mentions versatility or position flex or three position players like 11 times, man. He, and with every player he mentions, he talks about their versatility, he mentions it multiple times. Um, even goes out of his way to say, man, I don't know where these guys could end up. They could end up at safety star or, 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 or corner. We don't know where they're going to end up. And I think that's the future. I think that's where they're going. And Makuba represents that. I mean, Dabble Sweeney said a guy can play corner, can play nickel, or can play safety. So you're manufacturing depth just as soon as he steps on campus. And then on top of that, is he going to play, you know, safety? Is he going to play some nickel? I think he's going to end up being both. I think he'll get a lot of cross-training. That's why I was excited about Coach Akina coming in because he actually specializes in cross-training defensive bats. But I think he'll get a lot of cross-training with these young, with these DBs coming in, especially the young ones, but especially the ones you have now on campus because Jaday Barron, he's one of the most versatile defenders in, uh, in college football uh, in the defensive backfield, and I think they should promote that, but also Makuba is too. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's – uh, where this defensive backfield is going. So if you want to go Makuba, you could, um, but I don't know if he'll be as impactful as any one of those wide receivers is going to be. 
Great stuff, Rod. As always. And CJ, uh, last thing, we'll wrap it up. Uh, CJ, uh, CJ any, any update on uh, Jabbar Muhammad? Uh, speaking of corners and uh, versatile defensive backs, uh, I know Alabama's coming hard after him because, of course, Kalen DeBoer is now at Alabama. Uh, and they're trying to, you know, he's trying to bring some of his guys with him. Texas met with him. Oregon, what are you hearing on Jabbar Muhammad, who is a cousin of Manny Muhammad, uh, would be a, a, you know, an elite corner or potentially elite corner on the outside for Texas? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Texas is still in pursuit of Jabbar Muhammad, the all-Pac-12 cornerback out of Washington. You should be familiar with him, having spent the last couple seasons at Oklahoma State before moving to uh, Washington, where we spent basically a month dissecting what Washington brought to the table for the Sugar Bowl. Obviously, Jabbar Muhammad's name was brought up a few times. He is expected on campus uh, tomorrow night for an official visit with Texas, a little midweek action. Uh, Oregon, obviously, in hot pursuit. Texas and Oregon kind of, you know, Jousting one with one another for those that top spot for Jabbar Muhammad. <clears throat> Texas has uh, the family connections right there. Obviously, Malik is you know a, a, a very close relative to Jabbar. Uh, Billy Walton also on campus right now for Texas is a cousin of Jabbar Muhammad as well. The South uh, Oak Cliff ties. Uh, Jonte Cook is very familiar with the family as well, having grown up with the two of them, played against them for forever. He knows all about Jabbar and uh, that DeSoto South Oak Cliff area as well. So Texas will have the opportunity to host them for a visit tomorrow going into Thursday as well. Oregon made things very interesting with a quick visit on Saturday right as he entered the portal. So the two of those schools, we'll see just how things start shaping up following the visit to Texas. Uh, but right now, those are the two schools to watch. Alabama's kind of fighting in from the outside, as well as a, a number of other schools who are you know, trying to get a foot through the door. But right now, look at Oregon, look at Texas. That'll tell you just where Jabbar Muhammad will be playing football next season. And Rod, your thoughts? I know we talked about it. I mean, in the uh, in the Sugar Bowl, he jumped off the screen. I mean, he just yeah. his aggressiveness, his ability to to play man coverage against really good Texas receivers. I know you saw it. I mean, that's a that's a that's a, that's a, a what, what, how would you describe him as a DB? I know you've got your your ball hawks, your technicians. Uh, how would you describe Jabbar Muhammad? Uh, he's definitely a technician. I uh, love that about his game. He's got some ball hawk in him, too. I'd, I'd give him both of those classifications. He's going to play on Sundays. Guy's got an NFL uh, skill set. There's no doubt about that. He would step probably step on campus as one of your premier cover guys, if not your best cover guy. Him and Malik Muhammad. He'd be the Muhammads. <laughs> That'd be potentially your best <laughs> cover guys. And honestly, if I if you get your ball Muhammad and you got that luxury, I think your secondary becomes a strength. With Jade Barry coming back, adding Makuba, I think it goes from being a weakness last year to being a strength just in one offseason. And then getting back to the cross training thing, I might sound crazy. I would put the Muhammads at the corners because they are technicians and they are they specialize in man coverage. Maybe it's a family thing. Right? So I'd put them out there and let them do the thing. And I'd start cross training damn near everybody else. Because Terrence Brooks actually, when Terrence Brooks went to Ohio State. They 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 had him as a, a defensive back that could play safety, nickel, or corner. And his dad is a defensive back's footwork coach who who also told me, nah, that guy, the way I brought him up, he could play any position in that damn secondary. Now, he could play any position. And so I would cross-train him to potentially play be your nickel. But after Jade Barron leaves, I'd be cross-training Jade to play any position in secondary. We've already seen him play corner. He can play nickel. And I'd cross-train him to play safety, which he has done sparingly at times when the formation uh, calls for it. I would also – Makuba is a guy. Talked about him. I'd cross-train him. I would basically – I'd get rid of any rigidity that exists 
in my defensive backfield pretty much other than my corners who can lock down on the outside. And I'd make all those guys, all my, my safeties and my nickels, I'd make them interchangeable and malleable so that the, the offense gets no clues, no hints about what coverage we're in, what pressure package we're in, who has what responsibility, what the rules of my defense are based on watching my safeties and watching my nickels. Cause that's what they get a lot of it. They get a lot of that from those guys. And if you include a guy like Mo Black, well, if he ends up being in your linebacking core and a guy like Anthony Hill, who ends up being one of your movable chess pieces, the Micah Parsons of your defense that you can move around, then you're cooking with, with gasoline, in my opinion, right? Then you're cooking because I think at that point, right, you could you're talking about having a positionless uh, football uh, kind of feel to your defense, at least in the back seven, where you could really confuse some quarterbacks and you can really confuse some blocking schemes because you would have uh, the ability to be malleable, which gives you ability to solve more problems, gives you ability to have more solutions on defense. This year, they got in trouble with the rigidity of that defense a lot of the times. Go back and look at how they attacked Jaday Barron late in the season. Uh, go back and look at how they went after the Texas linebackers, those crossing routes and those inside breaking routes. That's all rigidity. We play a certain leverage in this coverage. We play a certain alignment with this coverage, with this front. When Once an offense learns to rule your defense, which I think teams did toward the end of the season, then it's easier to violate those rules, right? That's the whole point. And I think for Texas, you would you would – give off fewer hints and clues as to what the rules of your defense are if you cross-train more of those guys on the back end. All right, we had the uh, the Bolden, Golden, and uh, and Bond law firm. Now we have the Muhammad, Muhammad, and uh, <laughs> Muhammad, Muhammad, and Williams law firm. On the I like defense that. Side of Muhammad, the, I like it. Muhammad, <laughs> Muhammad. <laughs> yeah, Muhammad, Muhammad, and, uh, and Brooke law firm as well. <laughs> And rigidity. You guys are smarter now. If you're watching our On Texas Football Tuesday live stream presented by Energy Texas uh, for Texans by Texans, we're in an Arctic blast. Make sure you're getting to know Energy Texas. But yeah, we've learned a lot about football tonight. CJ Vogel with the uh, the inside scoop of what's happening, what's going on. Rod Babers with the football theory uh, of how they're going to use these players that are coming in. It's really good stuff, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. It's ongoing. Uh, it, CJ, any prediction? Small prediction of what could happen tomorrow? Any way to know? I mean, it drops fast. I mean, it's coming like a hot potato now. Man, I was sitting here thinking that what a slow day news-wise, you know, compared to what we had seen <laughs> over the last two weeks. Little did I know, right? I mean, it, it, this stuff comes quick, and you never know what might just be dropping tomorrow. So uh, we'll we'll continue to keep you updated here on On Texas Football. Exciting to see you tomorrow uh, for, for Coffee and Football, Brian Early. Yeah, 8 o'clock tomorrow. Right now we on – Go ahead, Sark after dark. Sark after dark is what the young folks <laughs> call it, man. That's what they call it. We'll, we'll have you covered on Texas football. Uh, Bobby and, of course, uh, CJ and the crew tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. Rod and I will be on hornfm.com tomorrow uh, talking about it all. Yeah, it happens fast. It's happening fast. I don't know that we've ever seen a, uh, a football uh, offseason like the one we're dealing with right now, but it's probably the new norm. Guys, thanks a lot. That's why people tune in, and we appreciate everyone who does watching on Texas football for the new information, the new narrative, new conversations. They change by the uh, 24-hour period. We appreciate Matthew producing it, and uh, <laughs> it's be a lot of fun into tomorrow and uh, the next days. They're still coming as we move on with on Texas football. Guys, have a great night. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for spending some time with us tonight, fellas. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.